The short docs are back. Deafness is great. It's a considerable snack. You got rye bread, you got cedar rolls. This is a time for action. What happened then? And then I come home from work and Cheryl will be at the end of a rope. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. I'm thinking now, what was it I was about to ask you? I forgot, that was a question I was about to ask you. Let me think of it for a minute. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and short bits we find all over the world. We listen to everything we can get our ears on, then play you the best of what we hear each week. I knew what I wanted to ask you. Now, now it came back to me, something occurred to me. In this hour, we're playing some of our favorite short docs from our 2015 challenge, as well as the official winners. What is your day like? Start from the beginning, the moment you wake up. Inspired by Studs Terkel, reimagined by Third Coast, dreamt up by both experts and newbies to the field, these little gems will make you laugh, cry, and wish you had picked up a microphone to make something of your own. Don't worry, there's another chance coming this spring. Third Coast never coasts. We are always plotting and scheming to bring new work into the world and celebrate the great stuff that's already here. Joining me to co-host the show this week, Sarah Geis, Artistic Director of the Third Coast Festival and Doyen of the Short Docs, I would say. Am I right? You are right. Happy to be here. So let's talk about the Short Docs Challenge and what people had to do. So um, as you say, Gwen, most of the year at Third Coast, we listen to everything that we can get our ears on. We curate the best of it. But the Short Docs is the one time each year where we kind of put down our curation hats and instead directly solicit the creation of brand new work from experienced producers and first-timers alike. Um, What we do is we partner with another organization and we create a set of rules. It's really creativity through constraint. So, Sarah, can you tell me about the inspiration for the 2015 challenge? Our last challenge was inspired by the Chicago broadcaster, oral historian, radio legend Studs Terkel. Mm-hmm. We partnered with the Studs Terkel Radio Archive at WFMT. They are an organization um, that is creating an archive of all of Studs' radio work. And we devised a challenge um, really inspired by Studs' mighty curiosity mm-hmm. and by his interview philosophy. Right, which was everybody has a story to tell. And it's an interesting story and just talk and talk and talk until you get it, basically. Right, but when Studs just started out, interviewing everyday people. It was unheard of. It was unheard of. Um, And so we actually took a couple quotes from Studs Terkel that we were particularly inspired by. This is Studs talking about his interviewing style. He said, the gentlest question is the best one, and the gentlest question is, and what happened then? The second one, he says, I'd say listen and wait are the two essentials, and watch and be aware a close third. A laugh can be a cry of pain, and a silence can be a shout. And that was written into the rules this year. Right. So tell me what the rules were. So like all years, each short doc needed to be between two to three minutes in length. And this year, um, the additional rules were the title of every short doc needed to start with one of the five W's, who, what, when, where, why. Each story needed to include a shout of silence or a cry of laughter in some permutation. And each short doc needs to include the question, and what happened then? Also open to interpretation. 
All right. Well, we'll talk more throughout the show, but let's get into our first short doc that we want to play. Studs, as you mentioned, is known for interviewing everyday people. And um, this story is kind of, I'll just don't want to give anything away, but I'll just say it's a little bit of a twist on that. Right. This So this is a modern day version of a stud style working interview. So this piece is called, Where Do I Even Start? Great. Let's listen. Try to explore what I feel is uncharted territory. For example, work. So I try to find people of all sorts of occupations, all sorts of work. What is your day like? Start from the beginning, the moment you wake up. I arrive before 9 to have her messages ready. Text messages, emails, notifications. In that order. They have to be there when she decides to look. Everything is quiet until she checks the screen. That's how my day begins. She swipes and starts punching away on my face, opening everything. As if anything has changed in the six hours she's been asleep. But the data stream starts. Everything at once. It's always so jarring. Most of the day is boring. Find a restaurant. Take a picture. It's just data. Oh, go keep going. To fill my time, I like to draw. Nature, not people. So when I draw, I dream that I'm alone and things are quiet. Like being in airplane mode forever. I heard, I heard something about you talking about that. Airplane mode is the best. You can just rest, look through pictures, or read something from the newsstand. Sometimes you get interrupted, but without a signal, there is very little you can do. Or at least that's what I tell her. Uh, what thought comes to your mind? It feels like I am disposable. Every time there is an upgrade, it is like my work is no longer good enough. Suddenly, I don't work fast enough. Once we had such a busy day, and she kept asking me for directions. Head southeast on Baltic Street towards Smith Street, then turn left onto Smith Street. But then I froze. I crashed. What happened after the crash? She got lost and missed her appointment. She swore at me, and even dropped me. But I didn't crack. I held it together. I always do. Anything else that's come to your mind? I don't know what I want to do. I really don't know what talents I may have. And I don't know where to go to find out. I know I'm not doing anything, not doing a hell of a lot for anyone. My job doesn't mean anything, because I'm just a little machine. Where do I even start? Where do I even start was produced by us, Ben Riskin. And Aaron Leader. And me, the technology that controls you. Well, let's discuss this, if we may, for a moment. One thing I love about this piece is um, how they use the and what happened then rule. They actually found archival tape 
of Studsing and what happened after the crash. Right, right. And of course, my favorite line was, and I didn't crack. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was so clever. Um, and uh, yeah, this was really, really fun and upbeat and um, all around, I think, great job. Really, just taking studs and, and playing with his interview technique and his interest and bringing it straight into the 21st century. Well, and also, of course, it takes it to the extreme. Like, studs wanted to talk to everybody, and now he's talking to a cell phone. Siri. <laughs> exactly. If he could, he would interview Siri. Another thing that I love about this piece is it's one of the very first radio stories that Ben Riskin ever made. So before this, he was a corporate lawyer, and now he works full-time in radio. Okay, that is crazy. Ah, I didn't know that. (laughs) One less lawyer in the world. So we're going to play two more back-to-back now, and I think that these two um, illustrate the range of the things that were submitted. They're very different, um, and they're both, in my opinion, delightful. Um, One is done by an adult, one is not. One is just this beautiful portrait of a place and you can just hear how much ambience he creates in three minutes. And the second one is one of my very favorites. Um, So fun. This first one is called What Do You Need to Know? And the one-line description reads, The bread guys pay a visit to a busy Brooklyn deli. So what do you need to know? What you got going on? No, just uh, delivering service here, uh, you know. You know, we come here three times a week and we supply them with the bread. Uh, you got stone ground, you got uh, gold medal white bread, Milano Italian, fiber one, 100% wheat, you got the nine grains. Hey, get the hell out of there! What's going on, man? Yeah. Um, I'm running out of poppy seeds. Uh, my name is Dexter. I work for a cell phone store, so I've sold, I've sold a few phones to each of these guys. Quantos líneas quieres tú? Cuatro líneas, cien dólares. I asked you how many lines you needed. Four lines for $100, unlimited talk and text, 2.5 gigabytes of data per line. You got rye bread, you got cedar rolls, you got hamburger rolls, you got hot dog rolls. You got everything here. This is a one-stop shop here. My name is Tanya. I'm doing good. This past weekend, my mother had a 70th birthday party. And um, with all the food that I had to cook for about uh, 100 people, the um, pork shoulders, I didn't have enough room to cook, so Felix said I could bring them over here. And he put them in the oven for me, and and he cooked them. Uh, you want to just tell me your name, what you do? Felix. <laughs> Can you say my name's Felix, I'm a cook, something like that? Felix the cat. Felix the cat. Oh, you want to make it the Yeah. What do you do all day? She likes the cat. <laughs> Not much. Get cooking. Yeah, I'm counting the uh, bread returns. The night of the date just coming close to the date, so we pull them out. My name is Edgar. I'm the sandwich man. Yeah, <laughs> and I gotta go. I gotta start. <laughs> I am, if not the best customer you have. I'm very sure of that. My name is Phil. And that's Edgar. And you gotta bust my balls every day. Where's this other part about supposed to be working the grill? <laughs> Edgar. Edgar? It's Good Friday. Could this be your coming out day? Edgar? At least today, it's back for you. Today is Good Friday. He's throwing rice. Could this be wedding rice he's throwing? 
Edgar. There is uh, a lot of places I deliver to. This is a different type of place. Extremely friendly, extremely friendly. It's, you know what, I, be, I know them for over 15 years, and they're still the same. They'll always be the same. I'm John. John. I'm Ralph. Where's Edgar? We're waiting for him to come out. Maybe he'll finally propose on radio. That would be the perfect ending to the story. What Do You Need to Know was produced by me, Ilya Meritz. My friend Liam lives up the street. We go fishing and we catch crabs, squid, all kinds of stuff. Last year he went on a four-month trip to Asia. What happened when you caught the toadfish? One day, I decided to look around in the tide pools. I saw all kinds of creatures like fish and eels. And one of my favorite things, there were the mud skippers. And they jump on rocks and they're really hard to catch. Can you list some of the fish and things that you saw on your trip? Giant gourmets, fish, scars, cichlids, little freshwater needlefish, picos guppies, little like silver sides, and I saw tilapia and mullet. Finally, I found this eel. It was a baby moray eel. Then it swam away from me, and I was trying to catch it, and I was following it through the tide pools. It swam under a really big rock. And the eel was right there. I reached down, and the eel swam under a little bit of seaweed that was at the edge of the tide pool, and then I poked around in the seaweed. A much bigger fish that was striped came out. It was about four inches long, red, white and black. At first I didn't know what it was, so I thought, I want to catch this. I reached down in the water, I picked it up, I grabbed it behind its gills. Wow, this is really cool. And then it flipped out of my hand and went back into the tide pool. I reached in again, but before I reached in, I saw it had its dorsal fin, like, all the way raised up. I didn't know there were spines that it had on its dorsal fin. My thumb got stuck on one of the spines. It really hurt. It first felt like a bee sting, and then I pulled my hand out of the water, and the fish was still, like, stuck in my finger. I was really scared, and I was pretty sure it was a toadfish. I didn't know, like, how much venom it put into me. I tried to shake it off. It went back in the tide pool, and I looked, and my thumb was bleeding pretty badly, and it hurt a lot. And I was way far down on the beach and so I started running back and then I remembered when you run your blood flow gets pumped faster back towards your heart and so I stopped running because I didn't want the venom to like come up my arm into my heart. I didn't know if I was gonna die or what. I finally made it back to the house. When I got there my whole family was still out on the walk so I was alone. I went in and I dumped out the water from my dad's water bottle and I filled it with really, really hot water that I put my thumb in because before our trip we talked with one of my friend's dads about dangerous things you might run into. One of the things I remember was if you got stung by a stingray, you soak the part of your body that you got stung in really hot water and it'll break up the venom. So I remembered that. That's what I did. So you thought you were actually going to die? Yeah, pretty much for the first 10 minutes. What happened then? In Sri Lanka, I fell off a tree and I landed in this like cactus. I got bit by this unknown creature that was hiding in the mud. I almost drowned once because when I was surfing, this big wave came. And, and then I looked later and it had like burrowed all the way into my skin. I fell off of a big rock. All these leeches started coming out across the path and they were like climbing on me. I wish I could have gone with him. So, Sam, you wanted to go? Mm-hmm. What Happened When You Caught a Toadfish was produced by me, Sam Wimmer. And me, Liam Romer. And me, Todd Wimmer. 
So I love the story about the toadfish. That's so delightful. You know, in the beginning, it's, you know, I was almost disoriented. You hear these two boys' voices. They're very similar. They're going back and forth. They are rapid. They have cut out all of the breaths, and it's just building. It's like an absurdist short story. It is building. Right. And we're so glad that Sam made it with his dad, Todd, and his friend, Liam Romer, that we had to ask him a few questions. Hello? Hi, is this Sam? Yeah. Hey, Sam, it's Gwen Maxi from Third Coast. How are you? Great. So what made you want to enter the Short Talks Challenge this year? Well, my friend Liam, he went to Indonesia and um, Bali, and he was in Sri Lanka, and I was really jealous of him. My dad told me about the Short Docs contest, and then we decided that we could do an interview with him about his trip to Sri Lanka and Bali. And one way to handle your jealousy was to make a short doc out of Liam's story? I thought it would be good for anything, but it's a good short doc subject because it's not too long, and it's a really good adventure story. It absolutely was. And do you have any advice for other people who want to try and make a short doc? Because, you know, they may be nervous if they've never done it before. If you're nervous about talking to people, pick a friend to interview who has an interesting story because you can just basically talk to your friend with a mic on. And you could start with that. And then if you're more confident, you could try someone else who you don't know. Sam Wimmer, co-producer of What Happened When You Caught a Toadfish. Now, he was in fifth grade when he made this piece. Surely you can make one too. Need some inspiration? Go to thirdcoastfestival.org to listen to hundreds of short docs or thousands of longer docs. After, after that, this is what happened. Coming up after the break, more short docs, including the winners of the 2015 challenge. Stay with us. Welcome back to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi here with Third Coast Artistic Director, Sarah Geis. Hello. So as you know, today we're listening to some of our favorite short docs and the five official winners from the 2015 Challenge in partnership with WFMT's Studs Terkel Archive. And our next story, I would say this is an incredible example of what can be done in three minutes and how to take something uh, very large and pack it into a very small space. Yeah, no, absolutely. So this year's challenge was inspired by Studs Terkel, and Studs Terkel had such a strong commitment in his work to civil rights. So one of the rules for this year's challenge is that the title of each piece needed to start with one of the five W's, who, what, where, when, or why. We didn't get a lot of where's, but this one is called Where Do We Go? And its title's taken from a famous speech of Dr. Martin Luther King's. The producer, Katie Tolarski, calls it an audio impression of racial tension. Let's listen. Hey, we have a cold one at Cadell. Everybody's tied up on priorities. Supposed to be a guy sitting on the swings, pointing a gun at people. Oh, shit. Right here. 
Put your hands behind your back. Put your hands behind your back. Put your hands behind your back. In the park by the youth center. There's a black male sitting on the swings. He's wearing a camouflage hat, a gray jacket with black sleeves. So he keeps pulling a gun out of his hand. He's pointing it at people. Oh shit. Breaking up a fight. What does he do when the people that are supposed to protect us are the ones that have turned against us? Oh, I'm still scared. You're still scared? Yes. Now in order to answer the question, where do we go from here, which is our theme? Blackmail. Maybe 20. We must first honestly recognize where we are now. We didn't even have a chance. This is no time for romantic illusions and empty philosophical debates about freedom. They didn't even give him a chance to cooperate. This is a time for action. All the parties should be accountable for my son. Where Do We Go was produced by me. Katie Tularski. Um, Katie, the producer, did such a masterful job using archival tape of these very painful 911 calls and news broadcasts and then mixing it in with um, Martin Luther King's speech um, to create a very powerful portrait of, of this time of police violence against African-Americans. Yeah, uh, I thought this was extremely powerful. Um, and and not in the typical studs interviewing style, um, but like you said, got at the heart of what studs was deeply, deeply concerned about. And I think it shows uh, in this piece very, very well. So this next story we're going to listen to is a completely different story stylistically. It tackles uh, not quite so heavy a subject, but it is not without its heft because it tackles some big subjects. Um, You know, one of my favorite things about this challenge is that WFMT opened the doors to its archive, and they really encouraged our Short Docs producers to go in there and to really play with Stud's work. Um, And so here you'll hear the producer um, taking a lot of liberties with this great interview with the author Erica Zhang. Here's What Was It About Marriage Anyway? Erica Zhang, a very excellent young American poet, this is a story. 
Growing up female in America, what a liability. All the romantic nonsense you yearned for with half your heart and mocked bitterly with the other half. You grew up with your ears full of cosmetic ads, advice columns, Hollywood gossip, horoscope, love song, moral dilemma, horoscope, advice columns, Hollywood gossip, cosmetic ads, more, 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 more. And what happened then? Now, I, I, I would, uh, I was married, um, 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 but what about, but what about, but what about liberation? What about it? You believe in independence. I do. Then why are you so afraid of being alone? Because if no man loves me, I have no identity. But obviously that isn't true. I suspect I'd give it all up, sell my soul, my principles, my beliefs, just for a man who'd really love me. You want freedom and you also want closeness. I know. Very few people ever find that. I know. Why do you expect to be happy when most people aren't? I believe that in our culture, we don't grow up until we hit the age of 30 somehow. I am now 32. I think it's about a woman uh, learning to be independent. Independence, creativity, sexuality. Those three things. Independence, creativity, sexuality. Independence, creativity, sexuality. Those three things. And not being afraid and being brave and daring to take chances and daring to make changes if you have to make changes. Don't be afraid of catastrophe. Sometimes a catastrophe changes your life for the better. thing you want to do. Don't sit around grousing about it all your life and saying, I could have been Rembrandt, but instead I painted fashionable portraits. <laughs> That's Erica John. Thank you very much. Thank you, Studs. What Was It About Marriage Anyway was produced by me, Austin Mitchell, out of my beautiful bedroom studio in Brooklyn, New York. That was just so much fun. I just love that studs talking to Erica, Erica talking to Erica, the the music, just everything. Really, really fun. Absolutely. And the producer, Austin Mitchell, composed all of that music. And for me, it's like this, it's like almost like a motivational anthem. <laughs> I get all psyched up at the end there. <laughs> okay. Well, our next couple of stories kind of point to a little bit of a trend that I sussed out of this year's entries. And that is that a lot had to do with people talking to their elders, their parents, their grandparents. Um, And I I thought that was a a little bit of a theme running through this year. Yeah. So I think um, radio producers talking to their grandparents is a kind of a tried and true staple. But um, we heard some really great examples of it in this year's challenge. And I think part of this Studs inspiration um, is really to take the time to sit down and to have these conversations with people who um, you might see every day or you might talk to often, but don't really take the time to talk about the deep stuff. 
And so we wanted to play you a couple of examples. And um, both are about grandparents. What do you look forward to? Sangit lena. Peaceful death. Nalini wasn't Mahindari. But yeah, my grandchildren, my children, their friends, all of them call me I because I is a mom. <laughs> to be 90 in this country is quite different from to be 90 in India. Sometimes I do feel that uh, I ought not to have come here. But what happened, Nina? Once I was very much uh, ill. And both my children are here. And I thought that if I am bedridden, my sister-in-law or my nieces or my siblings, who are also old, they will have to look after me and they have already their problems. Why should I bother them when my children are here? Though all the children love me, they have to go out for their work and I don't know driving. So I'm stuck in the house. And, you know, I don't feel like being dependent on anybody. Once I went to senior citizens club, Somebody made us play something. But at that moment, I don't feel like playing cards. I'm rather fussy. I like to have my own company. So I was getting bored. To be bored is kantalaini. So I say in Marathi, kantala, kantala, kantala. <laughs> I'm bored, I'm bored. I said loudly, I'm bored. <laughs> and then I feel better. If I had grown here, then the case would have been different. But I came here at very late age. You know, when the plant is uprooted, it can grow anywhere. But the tree, when the tree is uprooted, she cannot have roots here. And that makes all the difference. What Do You Look Forward To, I was produced by me, Nina Patak. My literal interpretation was like picking up your dead grandma with like a knife and fork. In a church. In a church, yes. <laughs> yeah. We all were in this very closed, quiet room, and Oji Chan got placed into a smaller room, and then the door was shut. And when the door shut, People started to cry and stuff, and I didn't really understand. After them came this old man with white hair, and he was wearing like a bright blue 
uniform that made him look like half policeman, half janitor. And he brought a really reflective steel tray just full of like white stuff. And now I realise that all the white stuff is Moji Chan's bones. And he says, now will the first members of the family come up? So it's my Obachan who comes up first, my grandmother. And he gives her some chopsticks. Then I had to go up next with my mum, and we had to pick up, each with different chopsticks, one part of his body. So we picked up his, like, femur or something, two ends of it, picked it up and plonked it into the urn. Makes the sound of pebbles when it hits. Then he scraped up all the other bits after everyone had picked up a bit of his bone and put it in, a bit of his bone and put it in. He got something like a big pestle and just crushed them all down so there was more room. I thought, oh my god, <laughs> don't crush it. But it was fine, he did it. What do you think happened to him after that? When you die, your, your spirit goes to the river Sanzu, it gets picked up by the ferryman, and after you've crossed it, I think you go on a long journey where you have to go through like seven portals. And in each one you learn something new. Once you've passed that test, you go on to the next test. sure what's at the end. I think maybe at the end it's meant to be enlightenment. Do you believe in the river Sanzu? No, I don't really believe in the river Sanzu. But it's a really nice story. Where did he go? Ojichan, Grandad, was produced by me, Eloise Stevens. So now we're going to move on to the five winners of the 2015 Short Ducks Challenge. Um, Sarah, can you explain exactly how these were selected? So after we listened to all the submissions, we got together with our partners at WFMT and talked about which ones we thought followed the rules in the most interesting ways, um, which ones were the most poignant, the most surprising, the most delightful. And this is the point that is so hard, where you have to pare them down to just five winners. But um, eventually, after some debate, we did. So now we're going to listen to one of those winners. And this one is from Mexico. It's actually the first submission we have ever gotten for our Short Talks Challenge from Mexico. Which is so cool. Um, And this piece is really about a man who's searching for his father. It's called Who Remembers My Father's Voice? My father's voice. A family matter. En una palabra, afecto. Una palabra, una voz muy varonil. Siempre se me había figurado una persona que usa mucho las manos. Manual. Lo primero que se me ocurrió, cálida. La describiría como suave. My father, Agustín Duarte Pérez, died on a Saturday in November several years ago. He had struggled with the Parkinson's disease for well over a decade and we, his loved ones, struggled with it and lovingly struggled with him as well. 
On his last months, we could hardly understand him when he tried to communicate with us. If I'm honest, I do not remember the last words he said to me. In fact, I realized I do not remember the sound of his voice. Some of his phrases I recall, but the sound is lost. Sadly, I never recorded him talking. For some time now, it dawned on me that I cannot answer the question, what was your father's voice like? No te puedo decir si era agudo o era grave, o también no. siempre nos... ¿Qué onda, cuate? ¿Cómo estás? No sé, es que yo era muy chiquita. Tenía muchísimos discos, eh, le gustaba mucho la voz. Era una voz que invitaba ¿no? a, a, a que platicaras. So, what happened then is that I decided to ask my closest relatives, relatives who happened to be also closest to my father. Su voz siempre está... De por sí era de pocas palabras y creo que por No muy platicador, no, pero sí era buen conversador. No la hubiera hecho, por ejemplo. O sea, vamos, Cuando no era él decía voz, así. que pasaba o sea, una si moto. alguien que hablaba mucho. Le hacía run, run. Pero tal vez porque no entendía muchas cosas de las que estaba diciendo. Pausada. Tenía una voz muy varonil. Pausada. Una voz muy... De una gente muy segura de sí mismo. Only half of my relatives remember his voice my two nieces and my oldest brother. Everyone had a hard time describing it to me. It's difficult to describe voices. My mother called his voice manly. My sister called it warm. Soft, said one of her daughters. Handy, my other niece said. Some remember he had a taste for bossa nova. Others said he did not like to speak on the phone too much. My mother even recalled how charming it was when he did sound effects, like when a motorbike whizzed by. I can now say that his tone of voice is not his most memorable attribute. He had, however, a certain tone, a disposition to be remembered. Una palabra. Una palabra más. Feliz. Who Remembers My Father's Voice was produced by me, Pablo Duarte. So it's hard for me to put my finger on what I love most about this piece, um, but things that impress me the most is, one, that it's not in English all the way through, and that I don't speak Spanish, but it was very kind of clear to me what was being said. And I really loved the lilt of this guy's voice and the pacing and it's uh it felt very peaceful and lovely to me and what he does so so well is this dual language dance and that is hard to do right right also um really so studs inspired there's that famous um studs turkle quote and I, i've heard it on the radio um what has happened to the human voice right right i <laughs> mean um, this is just this celebration for the human voice and really made me think, should I be recording the voices of my loved ones who are still here? I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. So the next one is really about some bleeding through from generation to generation. And, you know, that is all I'm really going to say about that. And I'm being cagey on purpose because I really love this one. So I remember when we first heard this piece, Gwen, we were all sitting together, and I remember you gasping <laughs> at a big reveal. Let's listen. 
A dress, makeup, hair extensions. This is my 18 year old daughter, Kessa. Getting your hair curled and. All. Slap bang in the middle of prom fever. Nails, spray tan. I borrowed a dress from a friend. If you've ever lived with someone going to a prom, you'll know that all that talk about hair products and strapless dresses can wear a bit thin. Low back. So I was giving her the deaf ear until she mentioned how she got invited. He said that he wasn't sure who he was going to bring. I said, well, bring your sister, bring your cousin, bring someone, just go. And bring me if you need to. And, uh, and then he was like, well, I mean, I, I, I could bring you. And I said, yeah, you could. It reminded me of a prom I went to when I was her age. I'd had a phone call from this guy I knew. He was kind of serious and shy, but nice. And the phone call went on and on until the penny dropped and I realised he was working himself up to ask me. So I did what Kathleen did and said, I'll go with you. Well, that was a long time ago, about 34 years ago, in fact. And it was in Cork City, right at the other end of Ireland, long way away from where we live now. What happened next? Oh, yeah, it's the night before the dance. Louis is a boy in my course. Kathleen is chit-chatting at the dinner table about this boy who's bringing her to the prom. First time I met Louis. She says his name is O'Halloran. And I say, that's so funny, the guy I was telling you about. His name was O'Halloran. And she says, well, it couldn't be the same. This guy lives here in Dublin. And his dad's name is Connell. Well, that was the most ridiculous thing Connell. Connell. That's the name of my guy. And then there's loads of high-pitched shrieking and oh my God, oh my God, and laughter and all. I found a photo of me at 18. Uh, it's one of those old kind of sepia-esque Here, I'm not that photos. Old. Got her to send it to the boy who was inviting her and to ask him to show it to his dad. Ask him if he knows someone by the name of Emer Horgan. Get yourself a cup of tea while you're at it. It was the same guy. I was a gobsmacked. Your son, my daughter, in a different city, bump into each other and unknowing. Yeah, bump into each other and do the same thing. That's pretty shocking. And no, before you say it, there's no fairy tale ending. We didn't fall in love second time round. And the kids didn't fall in love. Not yet, anyway. Who Took Mom to the Prom was produced by the mom in question, me, Emer Horgan, ably abetted by my friend, producer Ronan Kelly. Who Took Mom to the Prom was one of my favourite short docs of all time. So I couldn't resist giving the producer, Emer Horgan, a call to ask her just a few questions about this entry. So it sounds like this is a story that you've told like hundreds of times and you just have it down and then turn that into a radio story. Is that how this came about? Yeah, it was it was kind of like that. Um now I had a I had a very different way of telling the story originally when I when I started thinking about it. I had an idea of using a fairy tale type uh, structure, you know, that there were two boys and two girls and it just didn't really work very well. And I was uh, playing around with it with um, a friend of mine who's a producer who gave me some help with it as well. And he was saying, why don't you just tell it the way you told me originally? Which was the story I would have told, as you say, over and over. So were the kids creeped out about the fact that the their parents went to prom together? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know how much it, it probably doesn't come across in the um, the short doc. But but Louis was actually really uh, quite freaked out by the idea that his dad knew his date's mother. Kathleen wasn't. My daughter wasn't. She thought it was really great fun. There's a twist to the story as well, because my brother actually dated Louis's uncle, Connell's brother, and they actually were all dead set to almost get married. And then they broke up. But uh, so there are there are a huge lot of connections between the family. Oh, wow. So it's. Sounds like this family was really meant to be connected in some way. Interestingly as well, uh, at the end of the story, I do say that, you know, the kids haven't fallen in love yet, but they are going out. So who knows? <laughs> My God, that's Amazing. So there, there, there may be a, a short docs sequel. Oh my God! Well, I don't want to even. <laughs> I don't even want to no. talk about it because you know no, I'm we'll scared. I'll curse it. Right? To that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for doing this. Not at all, Gwen. Nice talking to you. That was producer Emer Horgan. Her short doc entry was one of five winners for the 2015 Third Coast Short Docs Challenge. Coming up after the break, the rest of the Short Doc winners, including the official 2015 People Short Doc. Stay with us. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. We're in the middle of our annual Short Doc show, playing some of the highlights of this year's challenge, saluting the late, great Studs Terkel. And in the last few minutes, we'll be playing some of the official winners that we chose with our partners, the Studs Terkel Radio Archive at WFMT. The Short Docs Challenge is a time of the year when we ask anybody and everybody to make a three-minute radio story. And joining me to talk about these stories is Sarah Geis, the Artistic Director of the Third Coast Festival. Hey, Gwen. So this year, marriage was a real trend in subject matter, wouldn't you agree? We got so many (laughs) stories about marriage. It's such a rich topic. Um, And our next story is one of them. And I don't know how you can not love this piece, but... I agree. So in this piece, producer Olivia Humphreys talks to her grandparents about their marriage, starting when they first met. She gives the date, which I wouldn't have remembered otherwise, I think. My 18th birthday, 20th March 1939. I wasn't really aware of him straight away. When I realized um, that he was rather good-looking was when we were in the metro, I thought, um, he's rather dishy. And what happened next? Oh. We were married in September of 1945, so that makes it 67 years and a bit. I can't think of advice to give about how to stay married. I'm always puzzled by people who don't stay married. Probably bad imagining what it feels like to want to be married to somebody else, which is never an, never an affliction that you know that I've well, suffered. Well, somebody else is one thing. The other thing is not being able to get on with what you've got. And the thing is that you really have to endure. Um, you don't know what you can put up with. You think you can't put up with it any longer, but you can really. I've never had that feeling at all. <laughs> the only thing is she's had many operations, but she's never had an operation to remove her perfectionism. Her perfectionism is the biggest difficulty. Well, no, I mean, it's his... <coughs> His imperfectionism. He doesn't mind things. He doesn't notice things. 
a number of things I don't say to you. Oh, oh yes. Yes, yes, yes. Like, why do you put, put, keep your... You used to have your pyjama jacket outside your trousers, and now you have your pyjama jacket inside your trousers, which isn't very elegant. What a strange thing to fuss about. Yes, quite. Well, I think we argue a fair amount, and sadly I think we argue more than we used to. I think the arguing is because you haven't heard what I've said. I think they centre on your deafness. You think? Our arguments really centre on your deafness. Um, deafness is is a considerable snag. Anything else you've learnt about marriage? No, not to expect too much of it. Yes, I suppose that's true. <laughs> and I wouldn't like not to be married. I mean, you may have fun when I'm dead, but I don't think I should have fun when you're dead. And would you say you have a good marriage? Well, yes, one's been contented on the whole, hasn't one? Indeed. What Makes a Good Marriage was produced by me, Olivia Humphreys. It featured my grandparents, Daniel and Pamela Whaley. Music was by Tom Carroll. Gosh, it just seems like such a real portrait of a marriage to me, and so British. So British. (laughs) I I, I love so much about it. It's so dry. It's so droll. uh, It's so biting, but so sweet. It's everything, kind of, that a good story should be. And, you know, one of the rules was this shout of silence, to include a meaningful silence somehow. And one of my favorite parts of the story is when um, the grandmother says, um, I think many of our problems are because of your hearing. And then we have a long pause, and he says, what? You're hearing. Classic. Uh. It just really captures a relationship with these two people who love each other and who are frustrated by each other and are so comfortable with each other. Um, And, yeah, it's one of the stories that I can just listen to again and again. And again. I agree. So we recently got in touch with Olivia, the producer, and she said that since making this short doc, her grandparents have celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary. Oh, my God. Should anybody be married that long? And that pajama top tucking is still a hotly contested issue in the home. I can imagine that. I can definitely imagine that. So the next story is by a producer named John Michael Foreman. This is one of his very first radio stories ever because in his day job, he is a ceramicist from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so I got to meet John recently, and he um, told me that while he throws pots, he listens to radio. He is probably the most well-listened person I have ever met. And he became inspired by this year's short doc challenge to try his hand at a piece of his own. The piece he made really plays with the ideas of Studs Terkel and this concept of listening as an act of love. And it's called What Could Be Bad About This? What if you could turn listening off? Well, the basic premise is that people can't be bothered by what they don't know. My name is Dr. Carol Underland, and I'm an ipsocentric therapist. 
Dr. Underland is part of a growing number of therapists making waves in their field with this controversial approach. And so we try to move our clients from an unhealthily inquisitive approach to their relationships to a more, could you say, stress-free avenue of communication? We try to condition our clients to avoid using certain words or phrases when communicating with each other. So like, why, or how, or phrases like, what was that like, or, and what happened then? These conversational tactics, while appearing benign on the surface, can open our clients up to a dangerous kind of empathy. And that empathy, says Dr. Underland, can lead to a whole host of negative emotions that can cause long-term damage in both the relationship and the individuals themselves. And to avoid that long-term damage that we were really worried about, uh, we decided to give ipsocentric therapy a try. I'm Daniel Rouse. Daniel and his wife Cheryl were feeling the emotional toll of parenting. There were afternoons when all four of the children were having issues with school, issues with their friends, issues with each other, and on and on. And I used to really try and engage with them on each of these issues. I would ask questions and try to level with them with their tiny problems. It was just exhausting. And then I'd come home from work and Cheryl would be at the end of a rope, and we just both knew something had to change. Through a year and a half of weekly sessions, the Rouse household began to take on a new air of, well, indifference. I can't emphasize enough how important technology has been for us in this transition, especially television and handheld gaming devices. Many of my clients are actually young married couples who are struggling to learn how to relate to one another in a healthy way. I spoke with one such couple at their home in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm Donovan Green. And I'm Lauren Green. The Greens have been married for just under two years. I'm going to be honest, it was pretty rough at the start. We realize now that we were pretty emotionally entangled in an unhealthy way. Yeah, early on, I remember a couple times Lauren started talking about how she was emotionally abused by her parents. Yeah, and Donovan would just shut down when that deep stuff would come up. Now that we know how to avoid those parts of each other, things have been so much more... positive. Yeah, I mean, what could be bad about this, right? (laughs) What could be bad about this was produced by me, John Michael Foreman. I thought this story was very, very clever. It fooled me for a moment. Yeah, me too, and because it was very well done. There's just some really nice writing in there, children and their tiny little problems. (laughs) And the acting, I thought, was very, very, very good. Absolutely. Um, And that's one of the, you know, one of the real joys of Short Docs is getting to hear work by first-time radio producers. Um, And, yeah, John Michael Foreman knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Let's see. We have, I don't know if he's quitting his day job, but we've transformed a lawyer and perhaps a ceramicist. Who knows who's next? Butcher, baker. (laughs) Candlestick maker? (laughs) Next year. (laughs) Next year. Um, Now we've come to our last short doc of the hour, and it's a special one. Sarah, what makes it different from the rest? So our next story and our last story is the official 2015 People's Short Doc. And what that means is that it was voted on by you, the listeners, and listeners from all over the world. You know, this year we released our top eight short docs to a public vote, and this was the resounding winner. 
yeah, this story is done with such a deft uh, hand and um, is so affecting. So let's listen and we'll talk about it later. Okay, so this is Where Do I Find You Now? An intimate conversation with studs about the edges of life and death. Dear studs, it's April, it's dusk. I'm thinking about my trip to the bone-chilling East Coast this winter. I got to tromp around in the middle of a snowstorm with my childhood best friend and record that laugh of hers. <laughs> but there are a few moments from that trip that I, um, I just can't shake. Can I share them with you? Of course. Okay, so I held this wide-eyed, cooing six-week-old baby. And then spent time with my 91-year-old, typically very articulate grandpa. Get in here! This is Marvin! Clearly beginning to lose track of his words. Like a, like a, lions? No, 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 lions. Um, musicals. That's my friend Emily's daughter, Addie. Can you help me? To feel needed is terribly important. I know. Addie picks out a bedtime story for us to read. What's it called? Oh, my book. Could you to read it? We read the book, and I go to say goodnight, and... Goodnight, Addie. Good you? Oh, man, did you hear that? You love me? Goodnight. Love you. Love you. Love you. I leave the room and try clasping one of those childproof safety gates and give up, and... Wait a minute, you, you just uh, paused. Now, you said something. Now, why, why did you pause? I paused, does because what happened next was that I turned off my recorder and I cried my eyes out. Six months earlier, I gave birth to my daughter, Lilia, and she died in my arms three days later. I, I paused because when you're six months postpartum without your child and your friend's child sits in your lap and tells you she loves you, it's haunting and somehow holy. It's exactly what I needed and it's, it's heartbreaking as hell. Vulnerability, vulnerability. make me aware of my mortality and vulnerability. I'm doing my best. Oh, Lord of mercy. Where Do I Find You Now was produced by me, Sarah Curtis. And again, I know we keep talking about how much is packed into a small amount of space, but it is really difficult to make such a complete story in such a short amount of time and to be able to be the architect of a story arc that peaks at the right time I stand in uh, admiration of all the producers who could do that. Absolutely. And, and you know, over a thousand people from six continents voted on our People's Choice winner. Um, 
And this this was their choice. Well, it was really, really affecting, I think. I think it would be hard to listen to this story and not be moved by it. So we spoke with Sarah, and she told us why she decided to tell this story for the Short Docs Challenge. I feel like a lot of a lot of radio work or a lot of written work about grief is just really sad and boring and doesn't kind of hold the complexity of what it means to, you know, create a human and lose a human. Um, and I also love the short doc competition and I love studs circles so much. And um, so when I saw, you know, read the rules and um, just saw that I had an opportunity to to frame a new piece in an interesting way and um, and use studs as like my my interviewer in a way and my um, my sounding board. I was like, oh my gosh, I I want to be able to communicate with him about all this stuff. And um, this was the perfect opportunity to make something that um, honored him and also like held the complexity of my experience. So. What does winning the People's Short Doc Award mean to you? I lo- I love this competition so much. And so, um, you know, I'm not sure what it will specifically do for my future. But, um, I mean, already people from, what do you say, like six continents um, have listened to this really intimate piece that I made and... Um, and voted for me. And that's like incredibly, incredibly validating. It's like, you know, gold out of crazy darkness. So I'm, I'm honored. Sarah Curtis, producer of Where Do I Find You Now? The People's Short Doc in 2015. I was much moved by a short story that you wrote. I think this challenge brought up a great crop of stories. And such range from all over the world. Yeah, this is also the time to remind you that all the entries are on our website, thirdcoastfestival.org, as are all the entries from previous challenges. And you can listen to them all uh, to your heart's content. Such great listening. Absolutely. So I'm sure that there are people who deeply, deeply regret not submitting a short doc in 2015. Well, the good news is the 2016 Short Docs Challenge will be announced this April, and it's a really good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just going to leave us with that? You're not going to tell us anymore? I can't reveal any details yet, but what I can say is start thinking cinematically. Ooh. Okay, well, you heard it here first, and look for information on our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. So, Sarah Geis, Artistic Director for the Third Coast Festival, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, of course. And we will keep your chair warm for the next time you come in to talk to us about the short docs. Yes, please. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Sarah Geis of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 1,500 outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. 
The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Riva and David Logan Foundation and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council Agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. You can also connect with us through Facebook and Twitter. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.